welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, podcasting from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center in Chicagoland, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Welcome to the Sessor Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. My name is Daniel Yang, the director of the Church Multiplication Institute, and today we're talking to Dr. Rick Warren. Rick co-founded Saddleback Church in Lake Forest, California in 1980 with his wife Kay and wrapped up his time as lead pastor in 2022 but continues to inspire people through his Daily Hope devotional and his podcast, Pastor Rick's Daily Hope. He's the author of The Purpose of Human Life, one of the best-selling nonfiction books in publishing history. And his latest book, uh, his first in a decade, is Created to Dream, The Six Phases God Uses to Grow Your Faith. But before, before we talk to Rick, we want to remind you that if you're enjoying our interviews, it would help us if you left the review. Now let's go to Ed Setzer, Editor-in-Chief of Outreach Magazine and the incoming Dean at the Talbot School of Theology. Well, Rick Warren, I, I have known Rick Warren for longer than I would like to admit. And actually, a fun <laughs> fact, speaking of books, uh, I've actually dedicated my last book to Rick Warren about cultural engagement, Christians in the Age of Outrage. So super thankful to have a conversation with him. He does, unlike me, he paces himself on his book publishing, though I'm currently been a while since I published a book. So, but, uh, but, but Rick, we're going to, we want to talk to you about, uh, about the book. We're going to talk a lot about the book and kind of walk through created the dream, the six phases God uses to bring, uh, to, to use us to grow your faith. But I want to talk to you about you first a little bit as well. So we, you have shared on social media that there were some health challenges. We recently went to the movies together, uh, saw George Foreman's film, which was, yeah. which was fun. We, we both were asking, is the grill going to be in there and the grill there, there's some hints of the grill. Uh, but you know, you, you kind of shared there, you were, you struggling in some ways physically. How are you feeling? Uh, uh, tell, tell us a little bit about your physical health update. Uh, thanks, Ed. Uh, nice. Good to see you. Good to see you, Daniel. And, uh, Two of my favorite guys in the whole world, and it is true. I've known Ed since it was in diapers, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I've been uh, watching his ins and outs of all of his uh, uh, ministry capacities throughout the ages, and I'm in awe of the number of books he gets out. I could never write as many books as he has written, and uh, it's kind of like he's like Peter Drucker, who got out like one a year, which was ridiculous, uh, but oh some gosh. people just have that brain capacity. Anyway, uh, thanks for asking about my health. It's not good right now. Um, I, I've been in a, a, a two-year battle with an autoimmune uh, disease. It's not life-threatening. It won't even last. It lasts between three to five years. Uh, but uh, without getting into all the details, bottom line is it leaves my muscles, all my major muscles, uh, in pain pretty much 24 hours a day. So it's debilitating. It's it's tough walking, working. Uh, but uh, it hasn't changed the way that I think. And the problem is I uh, sometimes feel like I am uh, uh, this brain on fire and I'm like in a wheelchair. I'm not in a wheelchair, but the bottom line is it's it's difficult to move around. So I've had to do a lot of my uh, training and stuff from this base, what we're at right now, where I'm just talking to you from here or somewhere else. Uh, and when you're trying to lead a, a global movement called finishing the task, it is debilitating. But I do believe, as, as scripture says, my times are in his hands. And, and I want to be directly in the center of the will of God. I don't want to get ahead of his will. I want to get behind his will. I want, I want to be at the pace that he wants. And so um, everything that happens in our life is father filtered. That's really part of what's in the book, uh, too, is that nothing could come into my life 
uh, without the Heavenly Father's permission. So I, I do believe we have spiritual warfare. When, I, when I'm at fault for the problem, I need to repent. When uh, Satan is causing the problem, I need to resist. But in all situations, I need to relax because God is God and, and I'm not. And so um, I've had many ups and downs in 50 years of ministry, uh, and God is faithful. You know, Rick, I mean, given what you shared about your health challenges uh, and then uh, finishing your time at Saddleback as lead pastor and now really, you know, leading, finishing the task, uh, can you help our listeners to get a little bit of an idea of like, why at the end of your 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 ministry career now you're putting all your energy into finishing the task? I mean, I think we understand the Great Commission and your passion towards that. But what what excites you about this season of life? Well, that's a great question, Daniel. You know, I feel like my forty plus years at Saddleback Church were actually a learning experience, preparing me for this greater uh, a role. Uh, we tried so many different things. Uh, 99 things would fail and the 100th one would work and we teach a seminar on it. Uh, we sending out 26,000 plus members of our church to uh, 196 nations, 197 nations. Uh, we learned a ton and uh, a lot of ways that don't work, but we also learned some ways that really do work, four or five things that really do work. And so we're building, finishing the task on that. The bottom line in finishing the task is we want churches to stop outsourcing their mission responsibility. What they're doing is they're paying other people to do their mission. They, and they think that that is assuaging their responsibility. But God has called every man and every woman to fulfill the Great Commission. Most Christians are doing absolutely nothing for the Great Commission, or even absolutely nothing for Christ outside of the four walls of their church. And so... Uh, of the five purposes of the church, worship, fellowship, discipleship, ministry, and evangelism, I don't have to tell people to worship. They do it every week. I don't have to tell people to fellowship. They do that every week. I don't have to tell people you need to be growing in your faith. They usually have some Bible study, discipleship programs. A lot of churches do have different ministries that are going on, but there's almost no church in the world giving ongoing evangelism training, ongoing mission training, and actually sending their members uh, around the world, either through the internet uh, or um, getting on a plane. For the first time in our lives, you can go anywhere in the world in 24 hours. So we don't have any excuse. When Jesus told the disciples to go to the Great Commission, it was physically impossible. They literally couldn't go to the whole world. They couldn't go to Australia. They couldn't go to North or South America. There were no ocean-bearing vessels, and the only way you traveled was either by foot or camel or horse or donkey. Uh, today, you can go anywhere in the world in 24 hours. And so we have greater responsibility than any other generation before. And I want to help pastors and church leaders help mobilize their church to fulfill the Great Commission. It's not enough to just care about your community. The Bible says we're to care about the whole world. And so all of the things that we did to move an audience into an army over 40 years at Saddleback. No church has sent more people to the mission field. No church has ever gone to every nation except Saddleback. And no church has planted a church in every nation except Saddleback. So the things that I learned during that 40 years, we're now going to export, and I'm gonna help pastors turn their audience into army, 
turn their spectators into participators, turn their consumers into contributors, and turn their members into missionaries. I know how to do this. I did it for 40 years. And so now it's it's simple uh, and it can be done. And now, now that my focus is off my own uh, congregation, I can spend full-time assisting pastors doing with that. And any pastor who's interested in turning attenders into an, uh, an army, uh, uh, I'll be glad to help you out. Just write to me, Rick at finishingthetask.com. Yeah. <laughs> Rick at finishingthetask.com. Okay, so a um, couple of things I want to get to more clarity on to understanding what, because uh, I know you've talked a lot about 33, 2033, you want to talk about right. that, but also what, I mean, what task are we finishing? Because I think the, you know, when we, you know, I've just been doing this, yeah. I'm in Lausanne, I'm, I'm doing Lausanne meetings, right, Lausanne right, movement right. meetings in Australia. So I'm, I'm recording from Australia. Right. And I was just kind of explaining to people just recently how Ralph Winter and people group missiology, and that actually came from a Lausanne meeting and conversation and 11,000 people groups, and we're trying to get to them. So finishing a task, does that mean that every person in the world is a follower of Jesus? Does that mean every ethno-linguistic group has a mission? And what does it have to do with 2033? And then I want to get to the book, Created good, the Dream. Good Tell us about that. These are great questions. Uh, first, they are finishing the task goals for the church at large, four giant goals in the next 10 years. And then there are goals for individual churches. And I'd like to talk about both. The four goals that are for the whole body of Christ are what we call the four Bs, Bibles, believers, bodies of Christ, and breakthrough prayer. What we mean by that is uh, first, by the year 2033, and we'll come back to talk about the significance of that later, we want everybody in the world to have access to a Bible in their heart language. It's amazing that still today, 2000 years later, many people don't have a Bible in their own language. So we have to speed up um, uh, Bible translation in the next 10 years to make sure every language has a scripture portion, at least, or a New Testament, uh, in, in, in order to get the gospel out to everybody. For example, uh, in Haiti, uh, they speak French as a formal language, but their heart language is Creole. And, and so we need to have the Creole translation of scripture, not just the French translation of scripture. And so we want them to have their heart language uh, translation, not simply, well, I can speak a little bit of English or French or, or whatever. Everybody have access to a Bible in their own heart language. Number two, everybody have access to a church with, in, their, in their sphere of influence. Now, many, many, that means we're gonna start millions and millions of churches. Now, that's very possible if we're not talking about building buildings. We're talking about house churches. We're talking about the kind of churches that they had for the first 300 years of the church, which was the fastest period of growth, where we grew 50% a decade for 300 years. There were no buildings in the first 300 years of the church. Christianity's growth slowed when we started building buildings about 320 AD. So we're not talking about building mega churches. We're not talking about building churches with buildings. We're saying any church can build, can plant churches if they're planting house churches, if they're planting small groups, okay? So everybody have access to a house church within uh, access of, of every person on the planet Earth. Number three, everybody have access to hear the gospel from a Christian witness. We're not talking about mass media, that's a good thing. We're not talking about printed media, that's a good thing. But we're talking about the testimonies of believers, which means we're going to have to mobilize 
millions and actually billions of Christians, which means a massive influence on evangelism training. Now, it needs to be in a new way because the, the standard format of evangelism training is you memorize a script and present it like a sales pitch. Nobody wants that. Uh, the thing that both Christians and non-Christians have in common is they both hate evangelism because we've been taught it in a way that Jesus didn't do it. We want to teach people how to do it the way Jesus did, which is start with the hurt, the need, the, uh, the, uh, the interest of the person there. He didn't have a standard approach to evangelism. He just started where people were. When he's with a woman at the well, he talks about living water. When he's without talking to fishermen, he talks about catching fish. And, and when he's with a farmer, he talks about sowing seed. And, and we want to teach people how to do this in a natural way. Uh, and there's going to be massive forms of evangelism training that churches can use to train everyone to share the good news in a very non-threatening and very natural way. The way they did it in the New Testament, where it overflowed with joy. So Bibles, believers, bodies of Christ, and then the fourth thing is breakthrough prayer. We want everyone in the world, listen to this, everyone in the world to be prayed for by name at least one time in the next 10 years. So that the praying for the salvation, that will take massive logistics. But guess what? We now have the technology to do that. We have tools that we didn't even have 10 years ago to be able to pray by names. I've been meeting with the world prayer leaders. Uh, one of the meetings had over 200,000 leaders on, on that call uh, around the world uh, to mobilize prayer in the next 10 years. Now, those are the general goals for everybody. Bibles, believers, bodies of Christ, and breakthrough prayer. When it comes to the local church, we want every church in the world to plant a church in the next 10 years. That's a very specific goal. In fact, you can plant far more than one if you're planting house churches. We know we can do that because I sent almost 30,000 people to 197 countries and did exactly that. I can teach you how normal people can plant a church. Okay, Paul would often go into a city as few as two weeks, appoint elders and leave and say, I'll write you a letter. That'll be my follow-up. So his idea of church planning was very different than the very complex way that we think of today. Uh, we want everybody to be able to share their faith on a natural basis. And so uh, it's a training commission. The Great Commission has four verbs. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. And we're going to teach every church how their members can do those things. Every man and woman in your church should be able to go in some way. Every man and woman in your church should be able to know how to make a disciple. Every man and woman in your church should know how to baptize. And every man and woman in your church should know how to teach them to do the things I've commanded you. And notice it doesn't say do it for them. Teach them to do. So it's basically a training commission. Now that's a real quick overview. There's a lot more details to it, but we're gonna use a thing called catalytic mechanisms. This is a term I learned from Jim Collins back in 1999. Jim Collins wrote the book, Good to Great. And he talked about how do, how do organizations go from being a good organization to a great organization? And I wanna teach churches how to good, go from being a good church to being a great church. And what Collins found, the common denominator, is what he called catalytic mechanisms. 
catalytic mechanisms. At Saddleback, I didn't know what to call them for a long time, but we invented eight catalytic mechanisms that grew Saddleback from just K&I to over 180,000 people in the role, 54,000 baptized, 27,000, 26,000 sent around the world, uh, you know, 7,000 plus small groups. Those are enormous numbers, but the bottom line is in a church of 25, what are the catalytic mechanisms you need to mobilize five people to go to the mission field and and 10 people to start small groups and honor, you know, appropriate for the size you are. There's no sin in being a small church. There is a sin in having a small vision because God has called every church to care about the whole world. We're not allowed to just care about ourselves. And, and we, frankly, most of our churches have become quite self-centered. We don't think, we don't think about the nation, much less the world. And, and so what I need to do is help people get a bigger perspective. And uh, the, the, finishing the task is, is four different things. It, it's, a, it's these goals, it's a movement, okay? Uh, it's a collaboration between churches, organizations, nation, uh, uh, NGOs and mission agencies. But it's also what I'm leading is a clearinghouse. And a clearinghouse provides tools and, and technologies and these catalytic mechanisms that any church can install in their church and move from good to great. So, Pastor Rick, I, I'd imagine. I mean, all of this that you're uh, you're seeing happen through finishing the task. I mean, it for you, it probably started as a dream, and kind of talking about the book created a dream. Um, like, yeah. how important is it? It was we're talking to pastors and leaders about helping their church members cultivate dreaming, make that connection connection between dreaming sure. and faith. Sure. You guys are asking great questions, okay? These are fantastic questions. Well, this um, is the greatest podcast ever, and Jessica helps us to make – our producer does these great questions for us. We have to you know, give her credit, but no, this is great. Let's just pause and say thanks to St. Jessica, all right? There you go. And, there you and go. that all, all she's doing uh, – the Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. How many times did I – please God today. Well, a lot of times I didn't because I wasn't doing it in faith. The Bible says whatsoever is not a faith is sin. How many times did I sin today? A lot. Uh, the Bible says, according to your faith, it will be done unto you. You get to choose how much God blesses your life. Little faith, little blessing, much faith, much blessing, a lot of faith, a lot of blessing. Um, the Bible says the just shall live by faith. But what does that actually mean? The book that I've just written, Created a Dream, talks about the stages and the phases of faith that everybody goes through. Uh, uh, and I could take you through Moses and Abraham and David and Elijah and Jesus and Peter and Paul. And you have, when you read this book, you go, oh shoot, I've been through this many times in life. Uh, you just didn't, you just didn't have the words, the vocabulary to talk about. But when you read the book, you go, oh, well, duh, this is what I've been going through. But it always starts with a dream. Nothing happens till somebody starts dreaming. We are most like our creator when we're being creative. And when you begin to dream, God looks down and goes, that's my boy. That's my girl. I made you. to. I gave you the capacity. What makes us different from the animals, we're created in God's image 
And the Bible says we are most like our creator when we're being creative. So uh, the dreaming is the first step, but it's just the first step. Okay, there are five other phases you're going to go through in the phases of faith, but it all starts with a dream. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, first, you just start with dedicating your life to God. Say, God, I, I want your dream. You offer your body as a living sacrifice dedicated to his service. Then it says you will be able to know the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect. So people go, I don't know what God's dream for my life is. Now, let me distinguish between God's dream and your dream. God hasn't promised to bless my dream. God has promised, promised to bless his dream for my life. And so I, what it's more important than to go, well, what would I like to do with my life really isn't that big of a deal. What, what I should be saying is, what has God shaped me to do? Okay, I can look in, at my shape, spiritual gifts, heart, ability, personality, experience, and go, I'm not supposed to be a metropolitan opera singer because I don't have those gifts. Uh, I'm not supposed to teach math. I don't have those gifts. I don't have a mechanical bone in my body to prepare things. But there are some things that God wired me that I do okay at. That's the direction of the dream. It is a myth. The big myth of self-help is you can be anything you want. That's just not true. It's a lie. It is a total lie. You cannot be any. You can't go be... Uh, uh, what Kobe Bryant was, or you know LeBron James. If you're not shaped for that, all the desire and dream in the world isn't going to make you LeBron James. You can be exactly who God made you to be, and that's how by looking at yourself, you start figuring out what is God's dream for me. That that's the key. You know, in architecture, we say um, um, we say form follows function. They say, tell me what you want the building to be used for, and I'll show you how to shape it. But in human beings, it's the exact opposite. Function follows form. Look at yourself. Go, what do I love to do? What am I good at? What am I fruitful? And what am I, what am I fulfilled at? And you'll know this is the direction I'm, I'm supposed to go. When you are fulfilling God's dream for your life, there are two elements of it. You're faithful and you're fruitful, actually the three, and you're fulfilled. Now you can be fulfilled and not be fruitful. Then you're not fully into the dream God has for you. And you can be fruitful and not fulfilled. That means you're not quite yet in the, in the niche, the niche that God has for you. And so it all starts with um, dedicating my life to God, spending time alone with God, listening, um, associate with godly dreamers, uh, stuff like that. Uh, I talk about it in the book. And first, how, the, how do you get to phase one, which is God gives you a dream? Right. And the, and the book is, is Create the Dream, the Six Phases God Uses to Grow Your Faith. Uh, like everything in Rick Warren's life, it is alliterated. I do wonder when you're talking to Kay, do you say, I love you, I like you, I laugh with you? Do you just, is everything just kind of roll out I live out for you, way, I live for you, I long for you, I learn from you. Oh, yeah, it just, it just happens. <laughs> it's just natural for you. It's, it's just natural. Thing. All um, of my Mother's yeah. Day cards are alliterated. No, they're not. But <laughs> no, Okay, good. Uh, so, but let's, so, let's, so let's talk some about this because, um, you know, you, you really, Really here, I mean, you, your your book writing process is kind of fascinating, and and you know, I've actually been in that that room in the back of, I mean, yeah, pre renovation yeah, in the sanctuary book. where you 
where you write the book, where you say, I wrote here, I was here for so long. And, and you do, you know, we were joking earlier about, about, you know, I write a lot of books and yours sell a lot of books. And there's a very big <laughs> distinction between the two. Uh, I was, I was one of the, I don't remember when it was, one of the times I preached there, I held up a uh, purpose-driven life and yeah. I put next to it, uh, held them both up, uh, Christians yeah. of the Age of Outrage. And I said, um, you know, these two books together have sold over 50 million copies. And so people <laughs> thought that was pretty... I thought that was pretty funny. Um, yeah, I so, thought it was funny. No, you know, you, nobody else laughed. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> that's it's true. It's true. Together they have. Um, so, but but here's the thing: um, you have you kind of labor a lot over books. Now, a couple things about this book: the book is is shorter than Purpose Driven uh, Life. It's uh-huh. Purpose Driven Church. Um, you know, I, I just have the advanced reader copy. But it's seventy plus pages, so it's something yeah. that you're not you're not talking about weeks to read. No. Um, but but again, you really sort of you build up into a a book. And you wrestle with it. Tell me a little bit about the wrestle and why this book. Why this book, as you have stepped out of leadership of Saddleback into finishing tasks, uh, global vision, why this book at this time? First, I really felt like it was needed coming out of COVID. I felt, and Ed, you've, you've written about this, uh, this malaise uh, of how do we restart uh, how do we re re get re re you know re-engage um and i don't think and you've preached on this i preached on it um coming out of uh three years of pandemic god doesn't want us to resume the old ways he wants us to do a total reset okay in other words not to just go back up well how did we do it in 2019 everything changed during COVID. everything changed and so we need not to resume our old way of doing church. We need to reset and go, what's the new way of doing church? That starts with a new dream. And, and as I said, nothing happens if somebody starts dreaming. And so people and churches need to get a new dream for their church. And so that's where, they, where it starts. Then you have to make the right decisions and you have to go through the other stages too. You asked though about writing. So let me... Those of you who want to be writers, get out your pencil and here's here's some things. You write the first draft from your heart. You write the second draft from your head. You write the first draft from your heart. Don't worry about grammar. Don't worry about um, the wording, how nice it sounds. Um, just kind of get it out. Blah, you know, let your passion uh, come through. If it doesn't move you, it's not going to move anybody else. So I, I have a, a principle of if I don't feel it, I don't write it. Same as in preaching. If I don't feel it, I don't preach it. And I'm, I'm not going to preach on certain things until all of a sudden I have a conviction about it. Because if it doesn't grab me, it's not going to grab anybody else. It has to be deep in my heart first. So it starts with the heart. It starts in the heart. Then the rest of the time, you're editing and re-editing and re-editing and rewriting and rewriting. Good material is never written. It's rewritten and rewritten and rewritten and rewritten. And so when I took that seven months to write Purpose Driven Life, 12 hours a day, from 5 a.m. in the morning to 5 p.m. in the afternoon, it's all I did for seven months. I didn't preach. I didn't teach. I didn't do staff meetings. I was totally focused on that. And the first was just get it out. And then the rest of the time is, how do I say it more succinctly? Uh, I intentionally made this a short book. I intentionally uh, 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 kept, you know, uh, 
making it, shrinking it down. And, and, and I did this in Purpose Driven Life that if I had a 25 word sentence, how can I say it in 15? And if I have a 15 word sentence, how can I say it in 10? And, and that's why, uh, that's why it is the most translated book in the world now, except for the Bible. Um, it's in Guinness Book of World Records as the most translated book in history, Purpose Driven Life. Why? Because it's simple. First, I wrote it at about a fourth grade level. There's nothing new in that book that hadn't been said by historic Christianity for 2,000 years. I could give you hundreds of books that talk about God's five purposes for our life. What I did is I just said it more succinctly. I said it short. And, and it was almost like I was made for Twitter before Twitter came out. To have a limitation on words of how can you make distilled gold? And, and actually, when I turned the book in to the, the book publisher, I, I have a very famous letter where they said, this book will never sell. Uh, you might want to hire a ghost writer to rewrite it because it, it breaks all the rules. First, it has almost no stories in it. Uh, the only stories that are in it are biblical stories. Moses did this and Abraham did this because it's, it's, and that's why it's internationally acceptable. I could tell American stories and they don't relate to China or, or uh, Africa or Latin America or wherever. Um, and, and so uh, I was shrinking it down. How can I remove the words? So it's all, and when you look at it, people underline it, they like underline every sentence because it's almost like, a proverb after a proverb after a proverb and stuff like that. That's intentional. So I intentionally was making the book shorter because we're in a in a, an attention span world. You know, everybody wants to preach like Spurgeon. If Spurgeon were alive today, Spurgeon wouldn't preach like Spurgeon because he understood the audience. TV has permanently altered the attention span of people. And so have video games. And so we have to get to the point quicker uh, in fact, even in songs, a lot of the best songs, you want to have a best-selling song? Start with the chorus, not the verse. Almost every one of the best-selling songs, they start with the chorus now. They get right to the point, and then they go back to the verse, which is long. They used to be build up to it. And so those are just some of the things that I would say in writing uh, to, 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 to get to today's mind. The other thing is at the base of your... Uh, a skull right here in your neck, brain, there's a brain stem. There's a thing called the RAS, the reticular activating system, the RAS. You can find this in any brain biology book. The RAS is the filter that determines what gets your attention. Okay, now this is extremely important for preaching, teaching, and writing, and communicating to your teenage kids or your children. Only three things get through the RAS. Uh, because if you had to consciously respond to everything, you'd go crazy. The, the air conditioning noise and the plane flying overhead and somebody talking in the next room, you, you, you can't, the, all the stimuli that happens in life, you couldn't respond to at all. So God graciously put a filter. And the three things that get our attention are, one, uh, things that are unique. If somebody started streaking across this podcast naked, we'd all notice it. Okay, it would be very unique and it would get our attention instantly. A second, uh, things that uh, threaten us, things that are fearful. You know, uh, uh, all of a sudden you see a rattlesnake or a snake or you open a door and a bear comes out or whatever. Things that threaten us, that fearful. And the third thing is things that we value. 
things that benefit us. Now, I happen to believe that as Christian communicators, the first two are not legitimate forms of preaching, teaching, and writing. Uh, if you're just trying to be unique, guess what? You're going to run out of stuff. Like, well, we did a carnival this week. What are you going to do next week to get people there? Well, we're going to serve McDonald's fish sandwiches. Well, what are you going to do the next week? You, you can't be unique every week. It just, you run out of stuff. Fear, I don't believe in fear evangelism. It only lasts about as long as the fear does. And so I tell people, you need to receive Christ, not because you're going to die tonight, but because you've got to live tomorrow. The chances are you're probably not going to die tonight. And most of the world isn't thinking about dying tonight. And so as if that's the primary hook, you're not going to have an audience. But they are looking for a lot of other things like antidote to my loneliness, antidote to my lack of purpose, antidote to the injustice in the world, uh, antidote to the anxiety and fear. Uh, there's, so, there, there's only one way to Jesus, but there are a thousand ways. And there's, only, there's only one way to the Father. That's through Jesus. I'm the way. But there's a thousand ways to Jesus. And people came to Christ for all kinds of reasons. And Jesus didn't care why they came as long as they came. So in writing, in uh, in speaking, in teaching, uh, you want to, I would look at what's the value to the person who you're talking to? Oh, start with their need, their hurt, their interest, and you'll always have an audience. So helpful. Uh, you know, Pastor Rick, as, as you're sharing that, and I'm, I'm thinking, if I were a leader right now, uh, in the verse, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 17, where where Paul quotes Joe and old men right. will dream dreams, right? Right. And I'm thinking, I'm at a stage of life where I'm, I, I'm leading something, but I also still have a vision and a dream for something else. And maybe you found yourself in that place about a year ago, as you were transitioning down from uh, lead pastor of Saddleback. What are the questions that people should put in place to evaluate whether they should now begin pursuing their dreams, specifically the next thing? Yeah, well, Daniel, it's it's a good thing that you if God gives you a dream, it doesn't mean you have to jump with both feet into the deep end right off the bat. It is okay to wade into a dream. It is okay to test the waters and make sure that you really did hear from God. That's okay. Now, occasionally, God will ask you to take the big leap. But I found that in most lives, you can kind of move into something. And for instance, uh, if God, you think God's calling to do something uh, in a certain area, well, why don't you start volunteering in that area instead of quitting your job first? In other words, it's okay to, um, uh, to test the waters uh, of a dream. And, and here's the other thing is, if it's really from God, other people will, other godly people will confirm it in your life. Uh, if you have a dream and nobody, but nobody thinks you ought to do it, you probably miss the will of God. Okay. Because God speaks to his body, the church. And it's like, if I see an interpretation of scripture in the Bible that nobody has seen in 2000 years, it means one thing. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Uh, because God has spoken to his family for 2,000 years in, in, in uh, clarity. So it's okay to just uh, test the waters and try something out um, and then move into it. Then as you get more confident, you go, I'm ready to, I'm ready to sell the house or I'm, I'm ready to make the move or I, I'm, 
I'm ready to quit my job, stuff like that. The Bible says the prudent man acts out of knowledge. And one of the stupidest things we do is exuberant ignorance. In other words, we get excited about a dream and we jump into it not knowing anything about it. I can't tell you how many people, they made a good donut, so they decide they're going to go in the donut business. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Okay, 80% of all uh, retails die within the first year and 80% more die within the next, those that last the 20%, 80% of those will die in the next five years. Uh, there's a whole lot more than, well, I like to make a donut, so I'm going to make a donuts shop. Uh, it's, you didn't do your homework. The Bible says that the intelligent man looks for new ideas. In fact, he's open to them. Well, to use your uh, term, uh, your, your, your description, you, you know, to sell the house, move and quit the job. I just did those things. So just for the, just for the record, I know exactly what you're talking about. And actually you were, you were part of that. You gave me good advice uh, in that. In but that, let's in take that you as an example on that. Ed, okay. Uh, because that's not the first time you did that. So True. there were multiple times over your life. And I know those transitions in your life where God called you to move from being a church planter to work in a theological institution and from there to, to work and do other things and even the kind of things that you were doing. And so you had a track record of trusting God and your faith was growing in each of those steps. There I, today, I can step out and take on the biggest goal that you can think of, the evangelization of the whole world, because for 50 years, I've been taking smaller steps. And so I didn't just go from having no track record to saying, I think I'm going to, God's calling me to lead a coalition to complete the Great Commission in the next 10 years. It, it's, it's, it, it didn't scare me because I have been working with complexity now through multiple different stages of growth. And while Saddleback was growing, God was growing me. I'm not the same guy I was when I started. If I had in 1980 said, I'm going to go take on completing the Great Commission, why in the world would I even think that I was had any background to do that? I had no knowledge. Uh, I had no skills that I have now. I had no experience. I had no watching God use the six phases of faith in my life over and over and over once you've gone through that, it doesn't scare you anymore. And so while you did take a, make a big move and do those three big, I'm letting go of this, letting go of this, letting go of this, it didn't scare you because you've done it before in, yes, in, in smaller areas. And so your faith muscle was, was getting stronger. We grow from that as we take those steps of faith. So it, you in the in the book, you talk about six phases of faith. And I want to make sure we touch on those. It's dream, decision, delays, difficulties, dead end and yeah. deliverance. So kind of walking through those things. What would you say of those uh, maybe for you personally? And if it's different for you personally than in general, what do you think is the hardest phase to walk through? Well, you, I would say that depends on your personality. Uh, okay, phase, tell me one more is God, phase one, God gives you dreams. Everybody gets a big dream, but dreams are a dime a dozen, honestly. Everybody has a dream. Uh, nothing happens till you go to phase two, and that is to make the decision to go for it. If you, At some point, you have to wake up from the dream and actually go to work. 
I hate to say this, but everything ultimately de deteriorates into a project. Okay. And you have to, you have to make the decision and go, oh, I'm going to go after this. Now, there are times where you, you got to make the decision to invest time, make the decision to invest money, make the decision to invest your reputation. Uh, you have to let the decision to let go of securities we just talked about. That's hard for some people, the decision-making phase. But once you've made that decision, then you're ready to go. And the first next phase you're going to come up against is delay. It's dream, decision, delay. God never fulfills a dream instantly. Never, 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 never. He's not a vending machine where you put in the prayer and you get out the instant dream instantly. Um, there is always a delay because while you're working on the dream, God is working on you. God is more interested actually in what you're becoming than he is in what you're doing because you're not taking your career to heaven or your cash or your clothes, your, you know, all the other stuff that starts with C, uh, but you are taking your character. Okay. You're taking your character. So God's more interested in what you're becoming than even in what you're doing. So there's going to be delay. And for some people, that's the hardest phase being in God's waiting room when you're in a hurry and God isn't. Uh, I'm in that phase right now with the physical illnesses that I'm going through. I'm in a hurry to get going and, and do more because my mind thinks of what we could be doing right now. But God put a, a governor, a limit, or allowed it on my body that is limiting how fast of a pace I can go. And so I just have to trust him in the delay. Once you get into the delay period, eventually you come to the to uh, the fourth phase, and the fourth phase is a uh, difficulty. Now you not only get to wait to see the dream fulfilled, but you have problems while you're waiting. And uh, the Bible says you have all kinds of trials. Don't be surprised at this. This is no accident. It moves to prove your faith. The the difficulties are part. The number of difficulties that we had in the 43 years at Saddleback, I couldn't count them all. There were delays and there were difficulties. Then just about the time you're, you're getting tired of the delays and the difficulties, you come to phase five, which is um, dead end. <laughs> and at dead end, you go, oh my goodness, there's no way this is going to happen. We're out of here. I'm done. Uh, this put a fork in it. It's cooked. It's It's over. And I have been in more dead ends that you could possibly imagine. But when you get to the dead end phase, congratulations, you're, you're, you're ready for phase six, which is deliverance. And God loves to turn crucifixions into resurrections. He loves to bring good out of bad. Anybody can bring good out of good. God specializes in bringing good out of bad. And so when I, when I have the dream, then I think it's just going to be clear sailing. It's not. There's also going to be decision, delays, difficulties, and dead ends before you get to the deliverance where God brings good out of bad. And that way he gets the glory. When God gives you a dream, it always comes in three parts. First, God gives you a dream of what he wants you to do. The problem is when we get that dream, we then think, oh, this is all I need. And we head off and try to do it 
in our own strength, our own power, in our own way. We think any way is fine to do it. And what happens is we stumble and fall flat on our face and fail. And we come back and we say to God, uh, God, was, was did I miss the dream? He said, no, no, it's the right dream. You just didn't wait for the other two parts of it. Okay. And the second part of it is uh, how he's going to do it. How God fulfills the dream that he gives you will be in the exact opposite of the way you figure every time, every time. It, it won't be in the way you imagine. So I don't even try to figure out how God is going to finish the task as much as I'm trying to figure out, okay, what step do we take now? You don't have to see the top of the stairs to take the first step. Take that first step, then take the second step. And, and, and God's will is like a scroll. He unrolls a little bit, you do it. Then he unrolls a little bit more and you do that. He unrolls a little. You're not going to ever see a map of your whole life. It'd scare you. But so, so you, you, you get the delays and then you get the difficulties and then you get the dead end. But when you understand that these are normal, these are the phases of faith. Moses went through them. Abraham went through them. Jesus went through them. Paul went through them. David went. When you understand it, it doesn't freak you out. You, you don't get nervous and go, well, dead in. Okay, I'm just a death of a vision. Okay, I, I'm, I'm just saying it ain't going to happen. So I'm just going to hang on here and wait for the, wait for the uh, proper timing. That's the third thing. God teaches you what he's going to do. Second part of the dream is how he's going to do it, usually very different than the way you plan. And the third is the when. And the longer I've walked with the Lord, and I've walked with the Lord now over 60 years, I've discovered that timing is everything. It really, really is everything. And God can do more in three months in his timing than I can do in 10 years of my planning. So I, I just have to, it's all about trust. That's why it all comes back to the phases of faith. Yeah, that's really rich. And our listeners are listening to that and uh, really reflecting on like this stage in the season of ministry in their life. And, you know, uh, Pastor, you've been called America's pastor. And uh, as we wrap up in our last minute here with you, uh, if somebody is struggling with their dream and they feel like it's not going to happen, it doesn't look like it's going to happen, just pastor them. How, how do they move through this moment? Well, two words, trust God. It's really just trust God. Again, I go back to the verses. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. According to your faith, it will be done unto you. What service not of faith is sin. The Bible says the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. Life is really pretty simple if you just do it God's way. Faith expressing itself through love. If I make those the twin goals of my life, help me to trust you completely and help me to love everybody unconditionally. You're going to make it. You will make it. You'll If you go off in a ditch over here, you hit a car over there or something like that, fine. But guess what? Ultimately, the good and faithful servant trusts God completely and loves everybody unconditionally. You know, I, I have to tell you this in my own life, my own testimony, the, the physical ailment and the constant pain I'm going through, and I've been going through it now 
for almost two and a half years. And it's it's brutal. Sometimes getting walking up the stairs is brutal. Uh, sometimes in the morning, I can't tear open a, a, a packet of sugar or turn the 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 you know pepper shaker thing that turns the pepper um and my my hands are so tight um and you know what i i when i first took this role that i felt god was calling me to to uh, to lead the finishing the task coalition and that's about 1800 denominations mission agencies and church networks around the world it's and then it'll go to 5000 it'll go to 10000 and there'll be 20000 and more on that in the years ahead but we're getting started um I, I, you know, part of me, I thought, well, okay, it makes sense. God would call me to do this because I'm not afraid of complexity. I, I've had a lot of experience with dealing with complex problems uh, in in uh, in life and in ministry. But when I began to look and see how difficult it was with the pain that I've been going through, I realized God said, "I didn't choose you for your experience." I didn't choose you for your years of skills that you've developed in, in leading a movement and leading a church. But I knew I chose you because I knew you would trust me even in pain. And that's what it's all about. God knew I'm not going to walk away even in pain. God knew that I would trust him even in pain. And when you've had the pain of your wife having breast cancer and losing a son to suicide, and all of the constant criticism for decades. I honestly have to say, when Matthew died, I became fearless. Because people said the most vile things about me and about my son when my son died by suicide. And they were all this armchair speculating and, and uh, psychologizing and stuff like this, and saying, oh, well, he must have been secretly gay and all. And you know what? I came out of that going, is that the best you've got to throw at me? And and so I'm actually fearless. I actually came out of that going, that's the best you got to, to throw at me? I, I'm, I'm fearless. And God knew that I would trust him in pain and in misunderstanding. Amen. Amen. We love you, Pastor Rick. Uh, you've Thanks. been listening to the deep wisdom of Dr. Rick Warren. Be sure to check out his new book, Created a Dream, the six phases God uses to grow your faith. You can learn more about Rick at PastorRick.com. And thanks again for listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content from ministry leaders at churchleaders.com slash podcast. And again, if you found our conversation today helpful, we'd love for you to take a few moments to leave us a review. That'll help other ministry leaders find and benefit from our content. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.